SVG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. My name is Charles. With me today are Richard, Ian, and Alexander. In today's episode, we will be discussing and breaking down the scenario, Command the Battlefield, and then in our own topic, we will be sharing uh, some of our favorite cavalry models and cavalry profiles of the game. All right, so to start the episode off, we'll be talking about the match play scenario, Command the Battlefield. So I guess the first thing to note with uh, Command the Battlefield is uh, the starting positions. So this is one, uh, one of the scenarios where you don't start on the board and you randomly deploy from any of the table edges when it's uh, in your initial movement phase. The game lasts until one force has been reduced to a quarter of its starting number of models or below, um, at which point this force that has scored the most victory points wins the game. And then if you have the same number of victory points, the game is a draw. And the way you score victory points in this scenario is you get one victory point for each quarter of the board that has more friendly models than enemy models wholly within it. That wholly within it is very important. And for each quarter of the board that has at least double the number of models wholly within it than your opponent, you get two victory points. You get one victory point for causing one or more wounds on the enemy leader. And if you kill the enemy leader, you get two victory points. And finally, you get one victory point at the end of the game if the enemy force is broken. And if the enemy force is broken and your force is unbroken, you instead score two victory points. There are two important special rules for this scenario. The first one is the Maelstrom of Battle. So it's the standard roll a d6 for each one of your warbands. And depending on the result, that's where that warband will show up on the table edges. The second special rule is the one that makes this one a little bit more unique, and it's basically the center of the battlefield isn't worth any value. So basically anything within 12 inches of the center of the table doesn't count towards those quarters of the table. So you have this huge blob in the middle of the table that's super risky to go into because your models are basically not doing anything there in terms of scoring points. I'm a big fan of this scenario. Maelstrom of battle are a little bit controversial. Not everyone loves them, but if we had to play one, I actually like this one quite a bit. I find it pretty strategic and talking generally, I like how you're using multiple areas of the table and you're not all just bunched up and playing in a single corner. I think I agree with you on that one. This is definitely my favorite out of all the random deployment scenarios. And then it goes hold ground and then heirlooms because, you know, heirlooms is... I guess what I like about this one as well is um, one of the detriments to Maelstrom is there's usually a massive advantage of whether you go first or second. And of course, it still has, you know, the downside of, you know, you could be ambushed if you were to deploy first. But unlike heirlooms or hold ground where you have to rush to an objective, I think your area of deployment doesn't matter as much. You can set up basically anywhere as long as you come somewhat together and not have any straggling warbands. And as well, you're not disadvantaged if you come on later where you have to rush to the middle or to an objective. So I, I feel like it's less, I guess, like dicey or, you know, whereas like some of the other Maelstrom ones, like I feel like gives a big advantage on who goes first or second. I think I get what you mean. If I was to put that into words, I would probably say that it punishes bad deployment less. So like if your models end up on opposite side of the board, it's more okay because at the end of the game, you'll score VPs for occupying a far end of the table. If you think about it, the middle 12 inches for the, the wasteland rule, it's kind of like an inverted hold ground. Instead of everyone rushing to the middle like a king of the hill, 
it's everyone rushing to the corners, sort of. It's it's kind of like the opposite of all bunched up in the middle. So as a result, I think whereas whole ground favors like more like death ball lists and lists with heroes that like buff each other command the battlefield it's like you want heroes that are like kind of can function alone you don't want heroes that rely on like other warbands they're not as strong because most likely you'll be fighting in three or four different places on the table at once so with that being said about the middle i don't know about you guys but when i'm playing the scenario i very rarely send models into the middle or near there to try even just try and cut across to another part to another corner i'm just i'm curious if everybody else plays like that like, I haven't seen anybody try to get all their models to the middle and then react in the last couple of terms, but I think that could be a viable strategy. I think because it's 12 inches, it is a bit tough. You would need, I think, um, some fast-moving models, so I could see that, like, being done with Cav, or, like, one time I did it when I had Guahir, but, I mean, it's just one model. Keeping it at the ready where, I guess, in the last couple of turns, you can swing to an open quarter where if the enemy doesn't have any guys in that quarter, in that quadrant, you jump with a one model there, you instantly get the two victory points. So I think it could work, but you definitely need some fast moving units. Maybe if you have a few cavalry units and you throw them into the middle and just kind of like hide them between terrain for most of the game and then pop out at the last second. Maybe, but yeah, without cavalry, it's going to take at least four turns to get from one viable section of the board to the other. And that's a long time to go without doing anything productive. I find one of the biggest issues I have in the handful of times I've played this scenario is just to try and get my army in a position where I can fight in either two opposite sections along the center board line where you would be essentially deployed in two sections fighting for all four quadrants of the board. I find it difficult because when they're split like that, knowing which direction to go in ends up being a bit messy. You go in four different directions at once. So I found the scenario quite challenging. It's a scenario that I've definitely struggled with. So I guess this is a question for you guys. I know it depends a little bit on the list, but how spread out do you like, you know, coming in? Because we all brought 800 point lists today. So I would say on average, we're going to see maybe three or four warbands. Do you like keeping that all in some sort of death ball? Do you like splitting it up into two? Or maybe even like you want presence in all four quadrants? Like this is to start off the game, obviously. Obviously, by the end of the game, you want to be in all four quadrants. I feel like I've started all my games attempting to go in two places. If you go along the center lines, you're in a position to disperse into all four zones. But at the same time, that hasn't done very well for me. So I'm thinking maybe deploy in four areas instead and try and fight over all four at once. I think I agree with you, actually. My, my preference would be for two deployment areas as well. But the split of forces, I think I'd like to only put like one warband. Maybe it's like a fairly big warband, at least like 12 models, 13 models by itself. And then have the rest of my force together, ideally on the midway point between two quarters. And then it doesn't really matter where that other warband is on the table, as long as it is somewhere else, basically, because you get more board control from that. But then you can also use the Maelstrom deployment system to your advantage, because your opponent will kind of want to put guys around that and go after that one lonely warband that you have. And then if they do that and you position it correctly, you can get them trapped in one quarter. And then they're trying to run out to like one other or two others and you can kind of block them off, kind of. I've tried it and it's worked for me, but it's also backfired, so... 
For me, a lot of it comes down to uh, model count versus model count. If you have higher model count, I would play more aggressive and maybe go for three quadrants to start and then try to fight for the last one. Although, if you think about it, like the other two objectives, uh, breaking and killing leader, are both worth a full quadrant points. So it also depends how the game goes, right? Like if the enemy leader dies in like the first two turns, then you don't have to aggressively get all four quadrants. You can safely just stick to two and maybe you'll still get a major victory that way. Also, I think if you deploy second, you have less choice. You're kind of reacting to where they started. So I think which quadrants you choose or how many you choose depend on what your enemy put down first. But if you're deploying first, I guess you have more choice in um, how you want to approach it. But I think a lot of it comes down to model count. Yeah, I think that's a good show. This is like one of the objective scenarios that it's actually more dependent on model count. Like I think fast moving units are nice, but it's not necessarily like mandatory. Because like, it's not like you'll score VP if you have one cab in the corner. Like you have to outnumber your opponent or to get the two points, you have to double them. So like if, if a Lee army, if a death ball all stay together and they just send one cab out, that might not be enough. I was just thinking that normally what happens in Maelstrom when you're like your opponent gets to decide where one of your warbands goes, they'll place it in a corner. But I'm thinking in this scenario, that's not necessarily a bad thing because then it basically means for most of the game, you're going to have a whole bunch of models sitting in that quadrant. And they're going to be hard for the opponent to get to unless they also start putting stuff around it, which I think is an interesting flip on the, the normal Maelstrom, like the way things go. What do you guys think about that? I think it's not as bad compared to other Maelstrom, but I still think being placed in the corner is bad, especially if you have less numbers, because I think that's what you were saying before, is that's when you get cornered in, right? I feel like the opponent could even do the strategy where they're not playing to kill you. You know, they're just blocking you into one little corner. They have a few guys in the other quadrants, and they could even play to, you know, suicide their guys down to 25% and end the game. Yeah, I think you don't want to be in the corner, but if you have the higher model count, then you worry less about it. That's like my thought process. So I don't know necessarily if elite armies are just not as good in it, because I've seen like lower model count armies win this scenario before, but you're probably not favored. Yeah, I think I think model count is the big favorite for this one. But I would also say that, you know, because it's a 25%, the end condition, it can kind of become a grind. If you're just a horde list and you have maybe bad courage, I think that also gives a lot of room for the game to swing around. I think that's probably the elite armies out to win the game is to probably, you know, maybe maybe you go more for a death ball, you know, to start off the game. It might seem counterintuitive, but then if you do break the opponent, then I think, you know, you can scatter in the last couple turns to try to capture as many quadrants as possible. Okay, we'll go on to this. Richard, would you like to start today? Army list. Okay, sure. So this is an 800 point list. I have uh, my leader, Imrahil, with armored horse and lance, leading four axemen of Lazarnat, two clansmen of Lamadon, uh, six men at arms, one knight of Dolanroth with armored horse and lance for that fight five boost, and then five black root veil archers. And in my second warband, I have four long on horse, leading four axemen, two clansmen, six men at arms, and three black root veil archers. And in my third warband, I have Theoden, full kit, leading six royal guard with horse and throwing spear, and four outriders to a total of 46 models. And I have 12 bows. 
So I guess we didn't bring it up in our earlier discussion, but I feel like bows can be quite useful because we did talk about spreading a couple smaller warbands, like aside from your main army. And, you know, like you never want your models to just do nothing. And of course, like it's not so bad if you're just camping by an objective, but it's it's just a bonus for you to also be able to shoot. And in this scenario as well, I find that it's very rarely going to be battle line to battle line. So I feel like Bowman would be able to shoot for most of the game in this scenario because there's going to be stragglers, you know, whether it's enemy models running around in other quadrants or they're coming at you to try to take it over. Yeah, there's just going to be a lot of like running stray pieces and rather than just like, you know, a full clash of army lines. And then as a good side, you know, after that happens, usually in other scenarios, you, you're not able to shoot. So I think bowmen are quite good in this one. I feel like I don't want to be stuck in a death ball strategy, but Immerhill's 12 inch banner effect is still quite large. I mean, that's going to be most of one quadrant. So he's going to be obviously with my main force. You know, so I, I feel like I have enough of a battle line there to, you know, hold up certain key points or even corner enemy warbands and take them out. For long, you know, this this warband is flexible, you know, depending on the matchup and how the game starts. This warband could kind of be on its own or it could kind of join Immerhill for a more death ball strategy because at 46 models, like I have a good model count, but there's still chances that I get outnumbered. So it's not a guarantee that I have the numbers in this one. And I also like Forlong because of the courage buff. Like we talked about how important courage is because once you break in this scenario, it doesn't matter how many, you know, guys you have stored safely away in a quadrant. Like if they start running, then you're going to lose territory. And then in my last warband, I have Thaden. It just gives a little bit of flexibility in this warband. I got 10 cav with Thaden, six that are more heavily armored and their bodyguard as well. So they're not going to run. Outriders, which, you know, they could use the courage of heroes to take the courage test. So not likely going to run. And they have bows as well. And then Theden also has Heroic March. And I think this is the warband that I'm going to really heavily depend on in the last couple of turns to do some sneaky things, you know. And I, I honestly feel like they do have enough hitting power too to act like a hammer and anvil. Or I could, if the opponent has a small enough warband that they're trying to run around to a side quadrant to take over, I feel like Eden and 10 cavalry models, I mean, could take out most hero of fortitude warbands. So I just feel like it gives a lot of flexibility there. Like none of the cav, I'm afraid of running after I break, if I break. So yeah, that's about it. Very interesting alliance. I do like how you pick Rohan and, and put your Heroic March there with your Cav. I think it gives a lot of flexibility. It looks like that's the third warband you, you're going to deploy just to like kind of fill in a hole that's missing. Like if your first two warbands don't start exactly where you want them, maybe your Cav can be put in a spot where they can do a little bit more of the heavy lifting that game. So I like that flexibility. I think there's an advantage for putting all your cav in a warband. I know that a lot of us, when we build this, we like to like sprinkle in in each warband. But like in this one, well, you have one knight in the first warband, but the majority of them in a separate warband, it has its advantages in Maelstrom. I see that half the pikemen are in Forlong's warband. My thought process is that they would only have the uh, fight five buff close to Immerhill. Or did you kind of just split them up because you don't think you can fit more around Immerhill's three-inch bubble anyway? Yeah, I mean... I, I just feel like I'm going to get enough fight five around Immerhill. 
So I don't think the fight value is going to matter too much. It's just going to be a regular battle line, right? I guess I like the men-at-arms because even though the Axemen can support already, the men-at-arms are just good because they, you know, they can potentially stack up on the dice. And like I said, depending on the game and the matchup, Forlong might not necessarily be beside Immerhill during yeah. deployment. Yeah. I also want to mention that Immerhill has double standfast, which is pretty amazing. Theoden has double standfast too, I think. Yes. So you have two heroes with double standfast. That's pretty amazing, especially if they're like not even overlapping and on opposite sides. Yeah, and they're double hero of legend, and I have a warhorn. So yeah, I'm not afraid of yeah. courage. Yeah. And stuff. you have a, a whole bunch of clansmen. That's courage five base. So yeah, courage won't be an issue for you. I think most people to try to get fearless cav models, they'll probably maybe like ally in like a Hurin and then throw in some like Citadel Guard on horse or something like I've seen. But I actually like the idea of the Outrider because they're cheaper and they have the shooting utility that you mentioned earlier. That's really useful in this scenario. So the Citadel Guard do kind of the same as the Outrider, but just in my opinion, much more expensive. And I think Outrider is more worth the points. Um, so I like how you pick the um, Outrider option instead of Ally Minas Tirith to get some Citadel Guard. I, I like this this path better. After hearing Richard's breakdown and Charles's remarks and then Richard's additional comments, this list is very much Richard in that it has a half dozen tricks to it and 95 different facets. It's a really good list. I like it a lot. It's got the mobility. It's got the shooting. And for a minute, I looked away and I was like, man, I didn't know we were already on Ian's list. And we weren't. It was just Richard talking a lot about bows. And it really threw me off because Richard usually is not about sitting back and having models that kind of play a more conservative game is very much pushing the pace, which I guess this list can do both of with the amount of cavalry you have in it. I like it a lot for this scenario. I think it's got a lot of different aspects that are going to help it along quite a bit for the scenario at hand. Thanks, Alex. You always know how to boost my ego. So I remember being slightly upset when you put this list in our little chat because I was like, damn it, I wanted to take Emmer Hill. <laughs> I have to do something else now. Um, but yeah, I know I really like the hero selection is good. Like having Theoden, he's a very nice utility hero because he has the strike and the march. And he's like, he's a reasonable fighter when he's mounted, but you don't want to be the leader, which is the big thing because the hero legend. So yeah, Immerhill, they, they work really well together. And then Forlong, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, it's almost like that Theoden warband is exactly suited to what we were talking about earlier, where you put a bunch of cav in the middle. <laughs> hmm. And the fact that they are all uh, armed with ranged weapons is very good. I like that. There's not a whole lot else to say. It is a very good list, I think. Honestly, like, you can function with all of the warbands being separate from each other. I mean, it's not ideal. You'll probably have two of them together and then one by itself, but I think you'll be fine. All right, Ian, do you want to just continue with your 800-point list? Sure. I also have uh, good men as my army of choice. Um, so I have the Ministerial list. My first warband and my leader is uh, Faramir, and he has heavy armor, a shield, a lance, and the horse. He has four warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, one warrior of Minas Tirith with spear and shield, one warrior of Minas Tirith with spear, shield, and banner, five rangers with spear, two guards of Fountain Court with shield, and two knights of Minas Tirith with shield. My second warband is Huron on a horse, and he has the same warband as Faramir, except no banner. And then my third warband is Madrill, and he just has five rangers in it. Fourth warband is Ingold, and he has four warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, two warriors of Minas Tirith with spear and shield, and that's it. And then my last warband 
is a battle cry trebuchet. So that's 800 points, 48 models, 15 bows, plus Madrill, plus the trebuchet, and 13 might. So obviously Madrill is in there because if I need a march, I have a march. But more importantly, a special rule, which means I get to deploy things wherever I want, which is very important because I had a siege weapon. Also, the siege weapon, I think, is very cheeky in this game because I looked up the way siege engines deploy in Maelstrom because I wasn't exactly sure. But from my understanding, they deploy first and they're not restricted by the six inches thing. You have to be six inches from a corner thing, as far as I could tell. Don't do it, Ian. I know where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) They they deploy on a board edge. Yeah, so it it doesn't say anything about following scenario-specific rules for the board edge. So what you're going to do with the siege engine is bring it on into a corner, basically, put the siege engine between the troops and and tuck the three crew members in the corner and then put the siege engine blocking it so nobody can get to them. Mahahaha, now you have three troops who are invincible, more or less, to enemy interference besides shooting in a corner. So that helps you lock down a corner. The other thing... Not necessarily, because if an enemy deploys a couple models near it, they can just touch the engine for one turn and it'll be disabled. True, but... I'll get into that later. Like, you're obviously going to have to deploy things to protect it, which is quite easy to do because you have the boost from Madrill. But besides that shenanigans, it also allows you basically to pick off any enemy troops that you want to in any of the other board corners. Not exactly with impunity. I mean, it still only hits on a four, but it should allow you to, like, pick off. If your opponent sends, like, two guys to a board corner, you can go, okay, I'm just going to target those guys, and I should pick them off. So it gives you board control in that sense. And then the other thing, I guess, well, just with the army in general, is obviously I will have to deploy some troops to defend the trebuchet to prevent the shenanigans from not working. But I think that's pretty easily doable. If you bring models on in that corner to defend that and your opponent doesn't go there, they're perfect. You can spread out to the other two. And if not, and they start fighting in the corner where the trebuchet is, that's kind of nice for you because then you can kind of try and box them in, ideally. As for deploying the force, the idea was that I have at least two groups that could be separate, hence the Faramir Warband and Hirn's Warband looking basically the same. And then the idea is Ingold, however the dice go out and however deployment works, he's going to try and join one of those Warbands. And then nice little solid unit. And then Madrill is kind of up in the air about what you want to do with him. He can also join one of the other Warbands, or he can go off by himself in a corner and just cause issues for the opponent, just having more models somewhere else on the table and models that can shoot too. That's the general idea. First, when I saw a trebuchet, I knew immediately Richard would not be commenting very much on this list because he dislikes trebuchets that much. My second point was when you explained your theory, it sounds to me like what you're trying to do with this army in this particular scenario is stick and carrot, where the stick is a trebuchet and the carrot is also a trebuchet. There's nothing else that makes me as afraid to play a list in this particular scenario as seeing something that can pick off my best positioned model so long as something has eyesight to it across the entire board because it has volley fire, right? So you just have to have one model off in a corner that can see something else and it's four feet away and it doesn't matter. And that is so frustrating. Aside from that, I like the hero choice, obviously Madrill. Faramir can do a number of things, and then, of course, you've got Hurin to back him up. I don't see a lot of Ingold, so I don't really know how that would work, but I will trust your analysis on that one. Aside from that, I like the general breakdown. I would see this list competing relatively well in this scenario. Ingold good, Alex. Ingold good. All I needed to know. Thanks. I I wasn't quite sure, but uh, I I thought so, but I was like, I haven't seen him much. I usually see Hurin, so Ingold. Okay, good. I'll write that down somewhere. 
he is only fight four, but he has strike and defense, which I feel is really nice to have because my other two main combat heroes are kind of weaker. So just having somebody else there that can kind of support them if I need it is nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. Ingold. Never mind. He's okay. I thought he was zero <laughs> No, I take it back. He's not zero I take it back. I was like, so I was like he doesn't have a strike. <laughs> Now, does Aerolos have march and and defense? March and defense for Aerolos. Never mind, I take it back. Yeah, maybe he might be a better pick. <laughs> does anybody have any whiteout? Oh. I'm not going to whiteout the bit where Richard said Ingold <laughs> was good. Means... I actually don't think Ingold is a good pick because your Madril has Rangers in his warband, right? And there's no Cav in his warband, so you're not going to use him for march. So I almost kind of see this list as a list without march. In that case, I would rather have Aerolos instead of Ingold. Because the only reason I would take Ingold is for a cheap strike, but you already have two other heroic strikes. So if you're taking Ingold for heroic defense, your last is, in my opinion, even better defender because he has like extra special rules with that. But otherwise, I like the list. Jared, I kind of forgot he had defense, honestly. I think if you're going to utilize the shield wall thing, though, I'd probably put a couple more warriors in there because I think it's a three inch bubble, right? So I think six warrior line, you might be able to fit a couple more. But the idea is he's, he's going to be with the Huron Warband or with the, the Faramir Warband. So it doesn't matter which one he joins. If Once he joins one of them, then there'll be enough of the actual Ministerith guys together. Okay, yeah. I guess that makes more sense. I, I'm just thinking, like, even with the Madril, like, you can't guarantee, you know, in the off chance that he might be stuck by himself. But yeah, I guess most of the time, and if you burn a mite or two, um, your intention is to put him with the other guys. Aside from Ingold, I think I like the hero choices. I think it's cool that you put Hurin and Faramir together. Usually people are like, which one should we take? Which one is better? You're like, I'll just take both. Uh, and I do like it because Faramir being the leader, he's actually quite defensive for a mid-tier hero. He's got the fate, he's got the defense. He uses the heroic defense and the defense seven is what I mean. And then you have Hurin protecting the VPs from him a little bit. The only thing, though, with the trebuchet is I've actually played a similar... Okay, it's not similar. It's a Minas Tirith list with Boromir, Captain of the White Tower, and a Battlecry trebuchet in this scenario at a tournament. He also put it in the corner, and the issue was me deploying first, and I had a very, like, big first lore band. I was able to just jump on right beside the Battlecry trebuchet and kind of swarm it a little bit. And yes, he could, you know, deploy the rest of his Minas Tirith force to kind of face me head on. But, you know, I am anticipating that and I could set up my army in a way that I can kind of castle in a little bit. And essentially, though, that whole game, the trebuchet got maybe like one or two turns of shooting before it got overwhelmed. And it was kind of just 80 points down the drain. And, and I, I don't think it's a rare occurrence. I think it would be much better if you went first, obviously, because you would probably deploy either Faramir or Hurin with the Battlecraft Trebuchet and you'll be fine. Not a lot of people would want to take on a warband like that, but I feel like if you're beaten to the punch and they get a set up, and the Trebuchet has a minimum range too, right? So there's a chance it might not even do anything for 80 points. It could function as very, very expensive bait if they over-deploy. That, that's the key, though. If they over-deploy in that corner and then you can box them in into that corner, then it'll work. But yeah, I do agree. There, there's, yeah, there's definitely a, a degree of risk of taking a siege weapon, yeah. 
I have seen opponents so afraid of the siege weapon that they'll just deploy all their warbands next to the trebuchet so you get no shots. Because like if only half their army trying to stop the trebuchet, you can still shoot the other half that are across the table. I think overall speaking, trebuchet is amazing value in a scenario like this. If you consider the risks, if 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 it pays off, because it's the cheapest volley fire siege weapon, you can kind of slot it in. It's like the cost of a mid-tier hero. You could slot it in like even smaller point um, level lists if you wanted to. One thing I would change to maybe reduce that risk is I probably max out Madril's warband. And the re reason is I can't see Ian not spending might to deploy him because it seems like you really want to protect that trebuchet and you really don't want to risk your other warbands not coming on. So I think even if Madril rolled a one, I can see Ian burning the might. And so if you're sure, if you're like determined to have Madril on turn one, you should give him the maximum warband, especially if you're going first, right? Because you don't know where your enemy is going to be. You're like, I need to put someone close to the trebuchet, or I need I need Magil to deploy so my other warbands can deploy uh, with that bonus. So I would make his warband maxed. I don't know if you agree. Other than that, I really, really love this list. I, I, I think it's pretty good. Oh, that and the Ingold pick. I don't like the Ingold pick. Everything else I like. I forgot Ingold was even a model. I, I was just thinking Aerolast. To be fair, I, I think if there was any list I was going to take him in, it'd, it'd be this one because he's like that third kind of pick as a supporting hero. Whereas, like, I feel like if you take him supporting like a Boromir, you're like, I'd rather have like a Huron supporting a Boromir, but because I have two other strikers already, it's like, yeah, he's a nice little addition. The shield wall thing might help, you know, because I have a lot of fight four guys I can stick behind, but they don't have the shield wall rules. Yeah, it seems like the only times I see the word Ingold is when someone posts on Facebook asking how his rule works. <laughs> <laughs> Bruh. Like, if you play it the way I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be written and then made more confusing by the FAQ, then it makes sense. If you play it the way it's very easy to interpret by reading the way they FAQ'd it, it is the dumbest rule possible. So maybe you're playing to some people's goodwill if you take him. <laughs> I'll say that. I'll say that much. Alexander, do you want to go over your list? Sure. Tried something mildly different from my usual Mordor list. So I have uh, the Witch King, three Might, 14 Will, two Fate, Crown, Horse, five Orc Warriors with Shield, six with Spear, three Moranas with Shield, one with Shield and Spear, one with Shield, Spear, Banner, two Orc Trackers on Warg, Mouth of Sauron on Armored Horse, five Orc Warriors with Shield, four with Spear, two Morans with Shield, two with Shield and Spear, two trackers on warg, gurrets, four orc warriors with shield, three with spear, two morans with shield, two with shield and spear, one orc tracker on warg, and kardish the firecaller, four orc warriors with shield, three with spear, two morans with shield, two with shield and spear, one orc tracker on warg. That's 800 points, 61 models total, nine might. Again, just for me, very much my standard build. I've got two mounted heroes, just one strike this time, but I've got three different spellcasters, a lot of orcs. I mean, that's going to be also my bit of an issue there with the low courage, obviously, but I do have Kardish for a bubble of courage support. I decided to put the orc, try the orc trackers on warg this time, uh, just because this is actually something I'd heard on uh, Green Dragon a while back about putting the trackers on warg and that giving them the mobility to move around to still be able to kind of pester opponents, going around sides, being able to pick their distance and take their shots. So I think that would be useful, especially in this scenario. 
being able to run them, as we've talked about, out into no man's land or out at a distance, still being able to take their shots. They'd hit on a five when they move, you know, being able to get that five inches of movement instead of three, being able to pick their engagements. They're not really a, a unit that I would plan on engaging with much in this army. It'd be more of a something to move towards objectives, or in this case, move towards the areas of the board that I need to go to, or to, you know, keeping a foot away and taking some shots where I can to help get at my opponent's supporting models. Aside from that, I'd probably, like we've talked about, model count, try and outnumber my opponents in choke points, especially considering the amount of the game that's played near the edges, being able to hopefully get around my opponent, pin them down a bit, whittle them down, and then move away and get into open space again towards the area of the board that I need to be in. But that's it, really. Not a lot of tricks, just a few things that they're good at. Oh, and Guritz for obvious reasons. Essentially the same role as Madril in Ian's list. The ability to affect my deployment with Maelstrom. He's also got the three might and march, so I think that helps a lot. Yeah, I really like this list. I mean, is this is just kind of like a good stuff Mordor list. You brought all the, you know, my favorite heroes basically from the Mordor list. All of them are good value. I guess the only small adjustments that I would make, mostly for, you know, personal preference, I guess, would be with Kardush. I always like taking just a few regular orc trackers or orcs with no equipment because I guess just it's a feel bad moment for me when I have to consume orc with war gear because I, I know I'm just losing out points on that. It's like I paid for a spear, but I'm just consuming it with Kardush. But yeah, it's, I guess it's not that big of a deal. I would also think about, I'm not saying you go down this road, but I think it's worth a consideration. Maybe the new orc hero that was released that can bring on spiders, you know, spiders and bats. I think that would be an interesting kind of list here because even though we talked about um, earlier that numbers is more important than movement, I think the bat and the spiders will give you kind of another dimension to your list. Like not only can they move very quickly, but the fly rule or the spider crawl special rule, I forgot what it's called, but essentially you move over terrain, right? It allows you to fly over to a separate quadrant a lot faster than even a cavalry model. So I would say maybe put him into consideration instead of maybe Melthasaron. As much as I like Melthasaron, you do already have Gertz for the march. Yeah, I like it. It's a good list. Oh, you know, I hadn't even thought about the two new heroes. Like, it didn't even cross my mind. I don't even think I, I thought about their existence. Otherwise, yeah, that would be a good idea, especially with the spiders, I think. The bat swarm, too, just because they're boar wounds. They're a little bit difficult to get rid of, and they can just fly around. Yeah, one other thing I'd mention is, you know, I've never actually put my orc trackers on war before, but I think it's also worth considering, just because my alternative to this, when I was putting this list together, was having the orc trackers, like I often do on foot, and then some warg riders. But another interesting point is... With Mordor putting them on the warg, I'm effectively able to take two different roles within my army and combine them into one model. I think ultimately it saves me a bit in terms of points, because otherwise I'd be spending the 12 points on some warg riders each, and then a whole bunch more points on the trackers, and so I combine that, and I think it actually helps me boost my model count. Yeah, and uh, not to forget that in the last turn, you know, you can you can take the gamble and try to dismount the, I was, the tracker. Yeah. And, You've and done that, the, I've done that, I've done that against the whole model. He freaked out. It was a good time. 
Yeah, I remember a game against Ian where I did that. After you did that to me, I went and played Ian, and I did that to him, and I could see the I could see the panic in his eyes when this. I started when I started dismounting wargs around objectives, and he was just like, "What is going just, on?" Yeah, he started doing it. I was like, "Oh my god, he's <laughs> yeah. learning." <laughs> no. Yeah, and that was a fun time because it was just like around objectives, and I was like, "You you see four models now, but if I'm really lucky, soon you'll see eight. That's a, that's a good one, too, is getting out into the corners and, and dispersing them and just kind of, you know, hoping that your warg passes the courage test. They're only defense three, so, you know, like I said, they'd be very occasionally put into combat because they're so squishy. But they do have that option. So they can, I think the, the trackers on warg are almost better than orcs on warg because they can actually do two or three different things where warg riders often can't. I think I really, I disagree. I think warg riders are better. One of the reasons is that for some reason, orc trackers pay one more point for the warg. They pay seven points, but if you break down a warg rider's cost, they pay six. So I think they get a discount and they, they get armor. So it's, it comes down to like, do you want that four plus shoe? But honestly, if you just have like a small handful of them and you're going to be using them to move around and they're 18 inch bows, I don't think it makes a huge difference. In Richard and Ian's list, you know, you see how powerful shooting is in this scenario, but I don't think a few trackers is going to make a huge difference. You know, you might occasionally dismount like a, a hero with your shots, but I probably prefer Warg Riders with Shield or Morgul Knights just for the courage. On the topic of Morgul Knights, I think Black Numenorians might be a, a good shout in this one just for their courage five with the army bonus. Your army, although you have Gurits, and your plan is to deploy together, you know, if that doesn't work out, then you really notice a difference with like six or 10 Black Numenorians in your list. Your triple casters is pretty nice, but I feel like they're better if they're kind of within proximity and fighting close to each other. Because, for example, the Mouth of Sauron can benefit with the Harbringer and then Cardouche can refill the Witch King's will. Small synergies that help when you're close together, but this isn't a scenario where you'll often fight close together the whole game. So... Part of me thinks that maybe triple caster isn't the way to go. Maybe you should have taken more brawlers like Shagrat or Gorbag or something along those lines and take like one caster instead. I definitely considered that this is just me building a list the way I often would for, I think, a tournament pack, general all-round balance. I'm just saying when it comes to command the battlefield, I yeah. know it's a balance list written for uh, other scenarios too, but I'm just saying in the context of command the battlefield, yeah, I'd, I'd probably in that case drop the Mouth of Sauron for something else, something more combative. I actually kind of like the triple spellcaster in this. Cardish for obvious reasons, because, you know, you can just randomly flame burst a model that's sitting across on the objective on the last turn and boom, that your opponent, you know, like could swing things. But the other spell that I'm really looking at is Instill Fear. And I think you could do some really cheeky shenanigans with that. And just like force your opponent's models just to run off table quarters or run into the center of the board where they're not going to be very useful. So I think you have a lot of potential for that. Also, as kind of Charles mentioned with my list, the march on Gertz, nice. I mean, I guess he's actually going to be deployed with with a lot of your other guys, but because you have so many models, having two marches is pretty nice. It's nice, like it's handy so you can redeploy. I like it. It's nice standard kind of mortar stuff, but it's good. All right, so the list I brought is the Defenders of the Shire Legendary Legion. And so the leader is Meridoc Brandybuck with his shield and pony, and he's leading 10 battling Brandybucks and five Hobbit archers. Then I have Peregrine Took with shield and pony. He's leading 10 militia and five Turkish hunters. I have Farmer Maggot with five militia and four Hobbit archers. And then I have Will Whitfoot with eight militia and four Hobbit archers. 
And then I have Whole Foot Brace Girdle with 12 Sheriffs, Robin Smallborough with 8 Hobbit Militia and 4 Hobbit Archers, Baldo Tulpenny with 4 Hobbit Militias and 8 Hobbit Archers, Lotho Sackville Baggins with 4 Hobbit Archers and 8 Hobbit Sheriffs, and finally Fredgar Bolger with 1 Sheriff and 1 Archer. It's 800 points, 113 models, and it's 10 might. So when we were talking about uh, numbers, this list like skews heavily that way. I've taken heroes that benefit more with this scenario. So the ones that help you deploy, for example, like Robin Smallborough, who's able to um, give his warband a plus one modifier. And also just the Legendary Legion's bonus, where on turn four, I can pick one warband to deploy within like a terrain piece, similar to what Goblin Mercenaries get. And then I've leaned towards Hobbit heroes that give me buffs for fight values. So in terms of like helping me win fights. So I have uh, the mayor, which he has a six inch banner effect. And also Lotho, uh, who can use one of his four will a turn to buff Hobbit models fight value by one for that turn. Peregrine Took also gives Turkish Hunters plus one fight value. So I've got a bunch of fight three in there that can potentially give me fight four for a small number of turns to help me win fights. But essentially the strategy of the army is battle formation will be like social distance. Basically, each Hobbit will be kind of like a few inches apart. And I'm just going to attempt to cover the map. And rather than forming like a battle line, I'm just going to cover the map with them. And basically make it as hard to kill as possible for my enemy. Uh, like make it very inefficient for them to kill them. Being 113 models means that I would require 84 dead to quarter me. So the game most likely will end naturally because against most armies, I won't be able to break them since my goal isn't to break them. So I guess my, my end goal is to have enough of them standing on each quadrant to outnumber. Because if you remember from the objectives, if you double your opponent, then you get two points in a quadrant. Most armies won't have enough to spread out to take more than two quadrants. So... You know, of course, I'll have to try to keep Mary alive. And when I break, I can't, they can't run away too fast. But other than that, I think the idea is to just stay alive as long as possible and hide in the corners. And speaking of hiding, I took Baldo Tolpenny, the master of traps. He gives you eight traps that you can place anywhere on the board. And you can kind of zone off areas where your enemy will have to flip them over if they touch or move past them and a lot of the traps will cause cavalry to dismount or cause models to fall prone the legendary legion also gives you eight traps so i get a total of 16 traps that i can essentially zone off like an entire corner it depends where i think they're going to deploy it or where i think i want to board up but basically it'll make a portion of the map really hard for my enemy to get to and keep certain warbands safe. Like if I'm deploying second and I think that my enemy will be really dominant in these two quadrants, I might wall off like a corner to put like models there that I want to keep alive, you know? So there's a lot of like tricky things I can do, but general idea of the list is to just stay alive as long as possible. I mean, you say that your goal with this list isn't to break your opponent, but you, I mean, you don't have to because they're not going to break you. To quarter you, they've got to get 80-something down. My army, for instance, would have to get rid of more models than models I have. There's no no need to break it, especially with all the traps. You could close off one quadrant of, of the board and fight over the other three. You know, Richard was like looking at my list being like, oh, you got a good model count. Charles laughs in Hobbiton. Uh, yeah, no, 
I don't know what there is to say about this, just because normally I'd go, oh, you know, the you've got to remember your mobility isn't very good. You're only uh, move four, I think. But at the same time, who cares? You've got a hundred and like pretty much double my model count. You've got 113 models. When you say the goal is to is to make killing your models inefficient for your opponent, it's already inefficient. You double my model count. It's impossible. It's yeah, I don't like this list because it's it's I'd be so unhappy playing it. That's the only reason why it, it's a good list. I just I don't want to play it. It looks terrifying. I don't like it. You forgot to mention the 35 bows and 113 throwing stones if they all stand still. Well, minus the bows. It's a holy firepower, Batman. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, I'm not very familiar with all of the Hobbit heroes that are new in the, the Scaring the Shire book, but it sounds like you have them all, right? So you have the guy who gives you extra traps, you have the banner guy, you have... The burly sheriff the, guy. The burly guy. Who, who else is there? I have the deployment guy. The so deployment guy. Plus one, minus one. Yep. Right. And then Lotho's the other banner guy, because there's two banner guys. Will Wiffa is a six-inch banner effect. Lotho can spend one of his four will to right. give a three-inch fight yeah. value. Right, so right. if I put him close to my fight three sheriffs and then mm. become fight four. Doesn't he have other things he can do with his will, or am I thinking of that other hero? Yeah, he can prevent a model from... He can, like, from bribe him. Yeah, okay, yeah, he can, like, bribe people. Okay. And then you got Fatty. We all love Fatty Bulger. He's OP. Initially, I had Sam in the list instead of uh, Farmer Mega. Then I swapped Sam out for Farmer Mega and Fatty because uh, Farmer Mega gave me the three eight-inch moving dogs. Yeah, I think with this, this is like we were talking earlier. You get the dogs into the middle, and then wherever you need something models to go at the end of the game, you can just run them over there. I mean, it's not terribly likely, but they're not going to do a whole lot else. Did you uh, include the dogs in the account? Yes, I did. Just because I didn't think you had enough models, so. (laughs) No, they're part of the warband. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, he's warbands maxed out. I see. I'm also thinking you could use the traps to deny your leader VPs, basically. Like, you could stick who, who marries the leader. Yeah. So you wall off the border between, like, two board edges, or two two quarters, with, like, two rows of traps. And then just you stick Mary in, like, one corner and say, okay, you need to try and come through this to get to my leader. And then your leader just runs somewhere else because he's on the pony. So, yeah, yeah. Or just put him at choke points. Basically. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fairly easy for you to keep your leader safe in this scenario, I think, just because of the numbers. And that makes it just so much harder to play against. Like, bruh. <laughs> I think your your opponent could probably get, like, two quarters, but there's still a reasonable chance you're going to be able to break the enemy, and then you'll win anyway. Yeah. I honestly think two quarters is a, is That's a generous. Oh yeah, it's, it's generous. It's generous because they need to lose basically no models, and yeah. then you can still flood in reinforcements. So that is generous. Like, okay, this might be a bit sleazy, but like, you honestly don't even have to fight. Like, just spread out your models so it takes a long time to kill your guys. Because, like, I would say one of the quadrants just lock it down with traps. You can maybe even put like just like four or five hobbits in there. And then just focus on the other three, which you'll have 108 models, you know, in three quadrants, right? So don't even, like, bother, like, trying to break them. Don't try too hard. Spread out your hobbits a bit. Don't do battle line to battle line. And then, yeah, just keep on shooting at them across the map. Like, this is, yeah, it's it's pretty gross. Because you'll be everywhere. Your opponent won't have enough models. They'll be stretched thin, right? So I'm going to call this army um, the Shire in Lockdown. <laughs> Okay, so 
we've just reviewed all four of our lists written in the context of a tournament with Command the Battlefield. And now we're going to compare them and see which ones edge out this week. So uh, Charles first. No other comment. I think what's gross is that I'm pretty sure like the Goblin Town list that are played at 800 points had a few less models than Charles. And Charles has 35 bows. Yeah. I think Goblin Town is like the average list is around 110. Depends yeah. if they ally the Spider Queen or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I meant going pure. Even pure, though, yeah, I agree. It's ridiculous. And your might's going to be spread out, too, which helps give you some bo like board control. So when this book first came out, I was actually wondering if people are going to start playing them now because Hobbits, we know, got hit pretty hard with a nerf hammer this edition. So I thought maybe with this Legendary Legion's buff, we'll see more players. But I haven't seen this at a tournament yet, and maybe because you have to buy them in blisters of four. So you need to buy like, I don't know. You need 100 of them, yeah. You need like 35, 40 blisters of metal. So yeah. I think it's just because they're hard to acquire. But uh, I'm really interested to know how they would fare in like a full tournament setting in all the other scenarios. I think the issue is they also have a couple big weaknesses, right? There's there's a few scenarios I can think of off the top of my head that they're probably pretty crap at. Yep. Like Lords of Battle is going to be brutal. Contest of Champions. And I, I guess Reconnoiter is not bad since you're going to cover your whole entire half. <laughs> It'll, it'll just be a flood. It'll be like playing tower defense. I don't think you'll get enough enough turns to get any models of your hobbits off the table, though. It'll, it'll take just, you so long to move it. Every, yeah. yeah, it'll be a draw or something. Yeah. There's one warband that can deploy on terrain, Ooh. but your opponent, they have time to see it coming. Oh, you got the dogs, though. I think the dogs can make it across. I think I only have a couple might points that can march. Two, I think. I think I think that the sheriff guy has march, I think. There was at least one of them had it, oh, but on. they only have a one point of might, I think. Mary has March, so and Pippin has March, so that's four might points of March. So I'm okay there, I think. It's just uh, still like your eight inch move, and your opponent knows where your marches are, and it's tricky. It'll be tricky. I don't know. I think Ian's list and Alex's list they have that deployment bonus, so I think they'll have pretty consistent deployment. But I don't know if that makes them better than Richard's list with that Rohan contingent that I really like. It's a toss-up for me. Between that and, like, the Madril and the Trebuchet, it's just like comparing which utility you like better, right? Which trick you like more. I think the issue with Alex's list compared to ours is that looking at it, he's the only one with Fight 3 army. Like, even Charles, like, your list can go up to Fight 4, which is ridiculous for being such a horde list and, you know, you can get there. It's mostly Fight 1, but yeah, it can get to Fight 4. We talked about how important numbers are, right? So, like, Alex has the numbers, but other than the Fury, I don't think his courage is as good as, like, Richard's courage and Ian's. Because, Ian, you have Bodyguard, you have... What else do you have for courage? The Army bonus. Yeah, yeah. So all my guys are going to be courage 4. Farmier's, like, courage yeah. 7, I think, with the bonus. And in my experience, every time you play this, like, courage is pretty important in this scenario. So I don't know if you guys agree. I think Richard has the best courage out of all four of us today in, in this scenario. So probably go with either, I, th I think Richard or Ian has one of the best lists today. Yeah, I think definitely courage is, like, my strong suit. But um, I guess out of all four of our lists, I have the least amount of numbers, even though I think it's still decent at 46. I mean, we're basically the same, like, 48, 40, that's not that much of a difference, really. I just I keep coming back to Charles's list and it's like I just don't see how you would like you're struggling to score points 
Like the only time you're winning the game is if you deploy first, and then he starts deploying, and then you're down points. <laughs> like oh, you mean down VP? Yeah, like VPs. I mean yeah, because like, I'm not gonna get the breaking VP. There's a good chance I won't get the kill leader. That's the thing, though. You but might you with might. the bows. With yeah. the bows, you might. <laughs> you might. And as long as you deny Mary dying, it makes it so much harder. Like, for your opponent to stand a chance against the list, like, they need to, like, at least kill the leader. They need to at least pick Mary off. And that's still super hard, because, like, unless, well, unless you deploy first and they get, like, a flying monster or something, can jump on him really quick. But even then, it's, like... You really want to keep Mary alive, because he has a Warhorn, right? So, mm. yeah, you need... I, I think the only list that could be Charles is Mass Chariots. <laughs> Mow down the hobbits. I could see. Uh, I was gonna say I could see an Angmar army maybe doing it, but I don't know if it kills the hobbits fast enough though. Because no the hobbits are just gonna run away, and Angmar doesn't have, <laughs> and we doesn't have any chariots. But they also don't have any shooting, so once Angmar's, they kill the initial stuff that's close, like they're yeah. kind of screwed. And Angmar is weak against shooting, right? So you can't even shoot Angmar down. Well. The one thing they could do is just try to deploy all their warbands separately on all the edges wherever Charles is and just try and fight as many models as possible from the get-go. Wait. And so, don't clump up at all. But that's, like, total antithesis of Angmar. Like, so we've already agreed Charles is number one. We're just right now arguing if he just wrote the best command the battlefield list of all time. <laughs> but I, like, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, obviously Goblin Town's going to, like do well in this scenario but i don't know if it's better than this goblin town has access to mercenaries but you know like you guys said they don't have the shooting but but yeah but both of your armies are going to be deployed all over the board anyway so yeah. that doesn't make a huge difference right just and just by sheer number of warbands right goblin town has spear support so they can form the battle lines if they need to kind of hard for hobbits too but but then it's like it's spear supports forces all the shooting you have like what's yeah. I think, like, it's arguable if you play the Goblin Town list with this list, who will win? It might be a toss-up. But I think this list will do better against most other lists compared to Goblin Town, if that makes sense. Because without the shooting, I think there's certain lists that might be able to take on Goblin Town in this. Like, if they castle up or something. I've changed my mind. I think it beats Goblin Town. Is it if, the traps? Well, like, the traps and the shooting. Because... Pretty much no matter what's going to happen is on the first turn, the hobbits are going to come on and move half. They're still going to get 35 bow shots off in the first turn, wounding on fives. That's still a lot of dead goblins. And once that starts to swing the numbers and then the traps can block off an area. Uh... It's hard to say because you can say the scribe is really good in command battlefield too. But... Yeah, I guess if you're not worried about breaking because your numbers are so high. And the Goblin King is just going to be like a daycare teacher smacking around preschoolers. Throwing guys, man. I will say it probably will be a very fun game for both you and your opponent because things are just going to be dying everywhere. Yeah. Like, you should be like, yeah, this is great. In terms of Richard's list versus Ian's list, I'm actually, I'm okay putting them at the same level. I don't know if we're doing ties, but I'm okay voting for either. So, Alex, do you have an opinion? Which list do you think is stronger, Ian's or Richard's? Not really. I mean, I look at them and I'm like, well, one of them has an entire warband of cavalry. And Theoden, who's a secondary hero in this list, the other one has a trebuchet that can hit anything it wants across the entire battlefield. So uh, the only thing that would make that list better is if pretty much like the only thing that breaks that tie is if the trebuchet can fire cavalry models across the board, which it can't. Uh, so no, I'm okay with a tie.
All right, so moving on to our open topic, today we'll be discussing our favorite cavalry profiles. to share that we think are our favorites from the game and so each of us will go through our picks and if we overlap i guess we can just kind of add on whatever the previous person you think that some points that they've missed but yeah we'll give our picks and then we'll discuss which ones we picked so okay richard do you want to go first again Ian should go first. Ian. okay fair enough okay so my top three that i have picked are rohan royal guard mirkwood knights and Serpent Riders uh, from the Harad list. First comment is, yes, I do love Rivendell Knights, but they are very expensive and you do have to pay for that. So the Mirkwood Knights might be more efficient. Also, I thought Alex was going to pick them, so I didn't feel like we needed to double up. <clears throat> so basically the Rohan Royal Guard, I think for pretty obvious reasons that everybody knows, like they can get to the fight five on the charge, which is awesome for cavalry. They have the strength four on the charge, awesome for cavalry. And they're pretty cheap. 15 points base or 17 with the throwing spears which gives them more versatility still pretty cheap still really good and also bodyguard so i think it's just a very good all-around package and the more i'm talking i think i'm going to put them in my number one spot <laughs> mirkwood knights elven cavalry great cheap elven cavalry for elven cavalry at 17 points with a shield that's awesome and they can still get a lance bonus basically if they're close to thranduil so that's good hitting power at fight five with an elven blade for pretty cheap which i really like and that's that's why i put them on the list and then lastly serpent riders again super cheap fight four cav with a lance and reroll ones to wound what are they they're 13 points i think is that yeah 13. Yeah. yeah that's fantastic i think for fight four cav with a lance 13 points like i don't think you can ask for more for that so and yeah, I think I probably I'll probably keep that order. I think I'd go with Rohan. Uh yeah. Royal Guard, then the Mercury Knights, then Serpent Riders. I think I'll go with that as my order. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll go next. Um the reason why I wanted Ian to go first was when you posted that, I was like, Are you serious? Because that was literally my list. <laughs> I guess great minds and whatever, but yeah. And the thing is, I think even before you ordered it out right now, like that's pretty much my order too. I for Mirkwood Knights. I just think that they're the most underrated cavalry as well as being like basically my number two. Everyone, you know, knows about and talks about the Rivendell Knight. And it is like a Swiss Army knife, right? But I think it's just less people play Halls of Thranduil in general as well. But, you know, it's a list that I play and they always do something. And Ian forgot as well, aside from the conditional plus one wound, they also have the conditional banner effect which is six inches from Thranduil, which, you know, it actually happens a lot more than you would think. Yeah, I mean, that's just amazing, given that they're fight five base, right? I had my third place was uh, Serpent Rider slash the Condish Horseman. I also really like them as well. And I, I essentially, like, see them at the same level because they have very comparable stats. You know, Serpent Rider has, like, the Lance, whereas the Conish Warrior has um, the Hand-in-Half Axe, you know, so it's, it's 
slightly worse there, but uh, the Connish horsemen can shoot. And there's like small special rules, differences and stuff like poison and whatever. But yeah, like the base stats are very, very similar. I think the only thing is that it's probably a slightly harder to ally in the Kondish. You know, Serpent Horde has a better alliance chart, but overall, like stat for stat, like they're pretty close. Now I will say, I was very tempted to say the best cab ever was uh, one time when I went into Games Workshop. I bumped into Marco, one of our local players, and he was showing me his Dane on Pig on an infantry base. And thankfully, after I confronted him about it, he told me that it was for painting purposes. You know, he just mounted on there for painting. But, you know, if, if that was actually a thing, though, Dane on Pig on an infantry base, that would be number one. There's a cav model on infantry base. He's his name is Shagrat. Uh, <laughs> I do like both of your lists, and I think Merkwood Knight is really underrated too. Um, I think overall, maybe uh, the Rivendell Knight scales better and is more versatile because with the Merkwood Knight, you need to take Thranduil and a specific list, and also the bubble is like you can only take so many. Like I haven't seen like an all Merkwood Knight army mounted with Thranduil. Like I, I don't think that would be very good, but I haven't seen it either. Yeah, I think point for point, they might actually be slightly better than the Rivendell Knight, in my opinion. Rivendell Knight is just easier to put into lists, and you see it in more situations. I pretty much agree with everything you said about the Serpent Rider and the Condish uh, Horseman being about the same level of competitive power and just like points efficiency. I put them at about the same, too. So for those of you who uh, remember from our Helm Hammerhand episode, uh, we talked about our favorite warrior profiles. And so two of these are from that list because my opinion hasn't changed. But there's the third one that I'm adding as my third place. So in third place, I have the Warg Marauder. I think this is a very unique profile. It's a warrior cavalry that has base three attacks. It's pretty difficult to take down. And just in the Moya list, it adds so much utility and threat. Sometimes I'm surprised that I don't see it more. Whenever I see it on the table, there are people who ask how it works. Like, that's usually a sign that it's not a very commonly seen model. But earlier in this episode, we talked about, like, the dismount trick. You know, you, you could do this with the Warg Marauder either to postpone breaking, because your opponent has to kill all four parts of the model in order to count that as one kill. So you dismount it and you split them up, basically. Um, the other thing is in uh, Recon, you can run to the board edge, dismount, and then you can get models off that way. So I think there's some tricks you can do with that. And also just being able to provide bow shots. It just complements the list a lot. Second is Mahood Raider. It's the only cav in the game with the impact ability. I do realize that this and or the Warp Marauder are fight three. So they are a little bit prone to like losing fights. So you have to be careful with them. They can get like taken down pretty easily. But as for offensive power, he has strength four with a war lance. So very hard hitting uh, in addition to the impact hits. And just the way the impact hits work, it's great for dismounting heroes. It's great for so many situations that like normally you wouldn't even think about because you have to win the fight first. But with the impact hits, it's a strike that you're dealing instantly when you charge in. And that's just really invaluable and unique to this profile. Number one, I guess Ian covered the Rohan Rollguard pretty well. Only thing I want to add is that they're, they're just so points efficient that I've seen many Rohan armies just drop Riders Rohan altogether just to go mass Rollguard because they're that good. They get fight five in the uh, Riders of Thaden Legion and also um, the Helm Hammerhand Legion. So, you know, giving um, a men army, uh, Rohan, access to fight five that easily is just insane for 15 points base. 
Also, you know, the only Cav with throwing spear, so eight inch range threat at strength three. They could definitely do harassment and skirmishes as well. So they're not only are they good at just charging headlong into combat, but also they're good from a distance too. So you got some controversial picks there for number two and number three. I like it though. I, I feel like those two models, because of the fight three, they're very, very swingy. So I think that's why a lot of people don't consider them that high is it's like they're all or nothing. They can do, you know, four or five times their points cost in a game, or they can flop, you know, a good amount of time too. And they end up not doing anything at all, you know, because they're both kind of squishy and more on the expensive side of cavalry. I will say though, for the Ward Marauder as a Moria player, that's probably the best model you can have in Clash by Moonlight scenario. I think I've single-handedly won games or at least forced like draws um, against like a heavy shooting list, you know, with their 18-inch bows and you can still move the full 10 while shooting. Like that's just ridiculous. Like there's so much kiting potential. And in the recent FAQ, they got buffed, right? At the full 18-inch, they're still getting the plus one to wound. So, I mean, it's just disgusting. Who would have thunk Moria the ultimate kiting force? <laughs> It feels so good when we roll on that map and I'm playing Moria. Like, no one expects that, too. I mean, I'm just going to say, I've, I've seen firsthand what those Mahood Raiders will do with those impact hits. And yeah, anybody that hasn't thought of them glossed over it because of the fight three. But they have probably the highest potential to disrupt your opponent's formation of any cavalry in the whole game. Just because of those impact hits. They don't count towards the combat. Combat is completely separate, and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, they hit just, like, so hard. Honestly, after you, like, like the Mahud are a really good shout. That got me thinking, though. I'm kind of surprised nobody picked, what are they called, the, the Goat Riders. Because they also hit basically just as hard, but they, instead of, like, the impact hit, they have, like, the headbutt knockdown thing. But that's still pretty good. Like, I think they're pretty good value for their points. Personally, I think I kind of forgot about them when I was making my list. I don't know if anybody else considered them or not, though. Because of strength, strength four cav, non-hero strength four cav with a lance. Like, there's only, I think it's the Mahood and the Go Riders. I think are the only two, right? It is pretty similar in, like, the idea of the utility. Um, yeah. My guess to why you don't see them is just because they're pretty expensive in their move eight. So, like, most people, when they take them, they take them because they're playing Iron Hills already. They're playing Airborne Acclaimed. And that's the easy way to get mobility. But allying goats in just for that utility seems really expensive. I, and I don't know, like, what are they, 20 points? Like, yeah. I, I don't feel like that's cheap. Like, I think you're also paying for the Armored Pig, right? Or Armored Boar. Armored Goat, yeah. Or go. And then they also lose the shield and shield wall. So it's like almost like a 10 point mount if you count point for point. Yeah. And it only moves eight. So I, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's above value. Yeah. I don't know. I don't mean above value. I mean, I'm just thinking about their impact. Like, they hit really hard and they have the advantage of being fight four over like the Mahood. But I and do, the, yeah. The, the War Spear. Yeah. Strength four War Spear too. I agree with you guys, though. They do, they do pay for it, but I think still think that it might be worth a shot. All right, Alex? Okay, so I'm going to start off with a disclaimer. I did not select the Rivendell Knight because I, well, I thought literally anybody else had already selected that. I was almost certain Ian was going to pick it. Ian thought I was going to pick it. And in the end, no one picked it. We're all hipsters here. I mean, to be fair, though, we all have talked about that unit so much, too, though, that I almost felt like it didn't even need to be said. 
So my first pick was actually the Galadrim Knight. Very similar to the Rivendell Knights, identical cost, nearly the same war gear. They don't have a lance, but they still have the bow and the shield. One thing I like about them over the Rivendell Knight is because of having Woodland Creature and Fleetfoot, I find them exceptionally good in objective games where you're trying to move swiftly off to an objective somewhere, especially if there's difficult terrain in the way. Just the ability to move there and to grab objectives to get from one place to another, obviously, is just exceptional. Aside from that, another thing, they might not have the lance that the Rivendell Knights have, but of course, if they charge in, they get two attacks on the charge, they get four attacks if they knock down. They're still capable of doing a fair amount of damage. After that, I've got the Morgul Knights. They are on the more expensive end, but for what they bring to Mordor specifically, I quite like them just because Mordor desperately needs the courage, the mobility, the armored horse definitely helps. They also cause terror, so they bring a handful of different aspects to Mordor, and of course they have the lance. So in any army where you are able to flank around the sides of your opponent's line and then have the Morgul Knights swing around and hit a troop or two, they can hit especially hard, they do a lot of damage. Of course, going for objectives late game, where your whole army, like we saw earlier in today's discussion, where Mordor being a low courage army typically can have its serious drawbacks, their courage definitely helps. And obviously, your opponent having to take a courage test often with a negative one in effect against that can be quite helpful in making your opponent's army stall in place. And finally, Richard's already talked about it, so I'll just mention it, the Kondish Horsemen. Within their army bonus, they don't count towards bow limit. So you do have a handful of what are relatively cheap, swift-moving cavalry that can shoot and hit pretty well. So I think, point for point, they are very high value. Surprised at the Gladrum Knight pick? I think generally people don't consider it to be like a great profile because you're essentially paying nine points for the armored horse with fleet foot. And, you know, depending on your meta, some communities play with more terrain, more forests. They're great, but a little bit conditional. And yeah, I just think they have like the similar issue as like people have with cataphracts, where you're paying for the horse's armor and then the rider has heavy armor. So the points rack up and they don't have like a two-handed option or a plus one to wound. So, you know, they can have trouble dealing the damage you want them to deal and they do have the fight five, though, so they have that over the Cataphracts, but I just think that they're only like one or two points cheaper than Rivendell Knights. That's just so expensive for what they do. Uh, but I do I do like the Morgold Knight pick. It's, again, another expensive one, but like you said, it does provide some utility that is pretty good with Mordor. Wait, so Alex, is this your order? Like Gladrim Knight is number one, and then two is Morgold Knight? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I guess I agree with Charles here. I, of course, I do play Lothlorien, and I have played the Gladrum Knight. It's an underrated model, but I think out of the three Elven Cavalry, I probably feel like it provides the least value, like point for point as well, because to me, like, if it was costed the same as the Mirkwood Cavalry, I think you have more of an argument, because then the stats are more similar, and you're just comparing special rules, but... Yeah, what's with the not having the hand and a half um, sword on the cavalry? It used to, yeah. And on the model, too. It's kind of a weird change. Like, I feel like they're, like, the only elves that don't have it now. Yeah. It's a weird change, and I'm still not over the fact that they got rid of their move 12 and kept the points the same. 
Oh yeah, uh, they used to be Moose Twelve. Yeah, and it made them really unique and cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing to have. Right? Then it would make. Uh, then the profile would make sense. I think you can argue the paying the premium for these guys because uh, Lothorian, they only have one mounted generic captain. So like if you want something in your army to like cancel out an enemy cavalry charge, it's like that's the only profile that's going to do it. I mean, I, I think all like all those points are good about the Galadrium Knight, but I see why Alex put it on the list. Like I think it is still justified having the key is high defense, high fight cav is pretty much always good. So... Even though it's not the most points-efficient one, I still see why it would be considered as a very good cavalry unit. I think we're just disagreeing with the number one overall pick, you know. There's a good chance that if we're looking at this in, like, sports terms, if somebody selects Galadrim Knight first overall, everyone's like, yeah, that's going to be a bust. That's just not going to work out. But then it ends up being, like, a starter, but not a star, you know? So it's like, okay, they're all right. They do well, but for where you put them, you just expected better. You didn't get it. All right. So those have been our picks. Now, any honorable mentions you guys want to uh, bring up before we end the episode? I have one. I don't know about anybody else. Because when I was writing my list, like I was thinking I should probably put the Dull Amroth Knight or the Morgul Knight somewhere on the list. But I didn't know where. And I was like, okay, I want to have unhonorable mentions. So one of them needs to go on there. And I decided the Dull Amroth Knight would be my honorable mention purely because under very specific circumstances they are non-hero cav that can hit fight six with a lance and that's kind of gross and they pretty much always have a banner effect going on if that's the case which is horrendous i actually think the dolamroth knight is below average so i feel like it is a bit controversial and i know i realize i did take one in my list today so i do know that they do provide a certain niche so if you're building in a specific way i think they have a job but i think too often i see a fiefdoms player just bring like a whole contingent of them and i think you're not going to get a lot of wins with that I, I just don't feel like they are cost efficient enough and also yeah they don't have throwing spears they don't have any bows so they don't have any like range presence so they're in a sense they're very one-dimensional for such an expensive unit and also you know they're most likely going to stick by Immerhill, so you can run them off to capture objectives but you're losing even more value from that so i just find them kind of like predictable so it kind of makes them even worse and they're very expensive yeah they i think their base cost like you said is very high and the only way you make up for that is if you stack on the buffs like being close to Imra hill and maybe being close to four long to get rolling ones as well and stuff like that i guess i'm gonna stick with the theme of fight three cav my runner up is knight of mist Tirith. i love it for how much it costs it adds a punch to a, a strength three army so if you, if you have trouble killing it does a job you never like feel like you're reducing your army's model count by a significant amount by throwing in a few because they're so cheap they're also i think the cheapest uh, defense six cav so pretty hard to kill if you just want to run a few off to a corner of the board to capture something an objective or something and just with either boromir's giving them the fight buff or even just by themselves i think even at fight three because there's so much higher fight stuff in Minas Tirith that if you get into a multiple combat, most likely you'll be you'll be okay. And if they're by themselves and they die, it's like 13, 14 points. That's okay too. So I just like how expendable they are and the amount of things they can do for that price tag. How expendable they are. You sound like Denethor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have one. I mentioned it in the group chat earlier. It is the always overlooked war grinder 
Now, the reason I say this is just because, you know, we're having this conversation. No one's ever going to say Ward Rider. When you're like, what's the top cavalry model in the game? No one's going to say Ward Rider. But similar to the Knight of Minas Tirith, very cheap. You give them a shield. They're 12 points. So they're the cost of two standard orc warriors. You know, if they're within range of a shaman or Kardish, they are able to take advantage of fury and they essentially become fearless. Aside from that, they have access to strength four, which is always useful for a cavalry model. They bring a good amount of relatively cheap mobility to Mordor that you other, otherwise have to pay the 18 points for the Mobile Knight, which I talked about earlier. Also talked about the tricks we can play with Ward Riders, uh, dismounting them and potentially creating two models. So I like them a lot for that reason. I usually pick them over Morgul Knights just because of points efficiency. But apparently you don't pick them over Orc Trackers on Wars. This is one time. This happens one time. Yeah, I think sometimes they're overshadowed because there's usually uh, something else that you can pick in, in that army. Like uh, recently we got the Dunland Horsemen, which, you know, for their higher courage, I can see why someone would take them. Also with the Piercing Strike on the Dunland Horsemen. So in certain lists, they might seem more overshadowed, but I think there's always a reason to take them. Okay, so I guess mine is, you know, one that I took in my list today is the Outrider. I know most people that take Rohan look to the Royal Guard first with good reason. And then if they want to switch it up a little bit, you know, get some shooting, get some diversity in there, they get the regular Rider of Rohan. But I think the Outrider really shines if you're able to. Of course, they have their own restrictions because Rider of Rohan with the bows, they don't count towards the bow limit. Outriders do. So you essentially have to have Rohan Royal Guard or I guess infantry to be able to take them. But I, I do think that, you know, they do a better job than the Rider of Rohan in certain roles. They're obviously not as fighty, but if you're going to go fighty, then you go Royal Guard because they stick around on objectives. They're cheaper than Rider of Rohan. Yeah, and they, they got the bow. So I think they're kind of an underlooked kind of model. And maybe it doesn't help that the model is more rare. Yeah, I think they're always uh, something worth considering. They're not in like, they're in every legendary legion. So maybe some people just don't, they just, first thing that comes to mind is, oh, I have two cav options, right? But they, uh, they're definitely good, not just for shooting, but also the Vanguard rule. It's just good to have in a few, few in your army. I know Ian spams them on foot, but like uh, when they're on horses, you don't take too many. You just take them for like grabbing objective and stuff, which is super good because um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure we've all had games where like you see like a outrider on the other side of the map and you know you're not going to get to him and and you know he's not going to run away. We do love our outwalkers. Has everybody done their honorable mention now, right? Okay, so I can't help but noticing there's not an incredible amount of overlap here. So we're damn near naming almost all the cavalry in the game. So it got me thinking, what is the worst cavalry in the game? Just one. We should. Decide. I feel like we should figure out just was one. Oh. Who's the worst? We're, we're doing a double header open topic. Oh, this should be quick, hopefully. Hopefully. Like, who didn't we mention? <laughs> okay, so. Maybe Dunland? They're so cheap, though. Are they 12 points or 11? No, Dunland is the same as a Warg Rider, but they have Piercing Strike and uh, One More Courage. So I wouldn't say Dunland are near the worst. Cataphracts? Are we saying, like, before the new supplement, right? Because we don't know what they're getting. Yes. I don't know what kind of a buff they're going to get, but I'm just, I have them open right here. So they're 14 points, strength three, defense six, courage three. You can buff those to fight four and courage four for two points and make them black dragons. Mm. They can be D7 cavalry. 
that's kind of cool if they're in there. I think Citadel Guard on horse, if you don't take the longbow, oh yeah, is is yeah. sixteen points. You can't use the spear on horse and defense five for sixteen points. Yeah, that's a very good shout. Gives up everything, costs more. Pretty much what the Citadel Guard on horse is. Well, it's just like let's take all the things you have. We're gonna set that aside and we're gonna tack on some points for it. And it's like, man, I don't know why. I feel like they got cheated like really badly. Okay, okay. In that vein, I would say a rider of Rohan if you don't have Thaden around. Well, if you're because, gonna because like it's it's conditional, right? But if you're gonna go conditional, then I say Sons of Earl without Earl around. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. I mean, yeah, they still overpay for their stats a lot if they don't have that extra attack. Which is interesting. I, I kind of thought they might be on one of our lists, too. I, I know they're technically a hero, but I think most people view them kind of as warriors. The Is it the Rangers of the North? Yeah, you yeah. can get the force uh, for 10 points, and they kind of lose their bonus attack, army bonus. Yeah. So you're not really getting a benefit there, and they're like a one-moon hero. What about Hunter Orcs? Uh, they lose their bonus, too, attack. But you, I guess they're cheap enough that people do still take them on work, but I agree, like, maybe that's not the most efficient option. I guess I was also thinking, not necessarily a bad cavalry, but often outshined is the Haradrim Raiders, because the Serpent Riders are usually better. The only thing is the shooting, which I find that it's not great shooting. Even when you're playing the Betrayer, I feel like the main role of the raider is not going to just stand by your battle line and just shoot. Yeah, I think their greatest thing is is 12 points with a lance. That's that's their only redeeming feature. I agree that the serpent rider is better, but I still think raider is above average because if you think point for point, they're really cheap. Isn't the horse worth like five points in their profile? Uh, six. Yeah. Or, no, five. You know, you're right, five. because five, base... five is less than most profiles. Yeah. Most profiles a, pay six. Like That's why Roll Guard are so good, yeah. right? Roll Guard pay five for their horse. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the Raiders, the yeah, the Raiders still, though, like, fight 3D4. Yeah, like like, like you said, like, I, I think, yeah, just stick by the fact that just they're so cheap and they can have a lance. That makes them worth yeah. something. Not as good as Serpent Rider, but still pretty good. Cataphract or Citadel Guard? I think the Citadel Guard thing, but that's like... I would almost put that on the same level as like the, what I was saying about the Rohan Royal Guard thing. Like you're never going to take them like that. I don't think it's fair because they're an infantry model by default. You have the option to give yes. them a horse. So a Rohan not... Royal Guard. Yeah, but the difference is the Rohan Royal Guard. You could actually, for a reason, make them mounted. I don't think well, there's a reason are... too. Because uh, if you want a mounted bodyguard model, that's the way Minas Tirith gets it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I think the cataphract is actually decent though. Like the drum option is really good, and and like with the uh, what is it? Is it the gleaming horde or something? Yeah. I mean that that makes them really tough to take down in shooting. But like I've even had uh, Nick in the recent tournament, you know, do it in a way that it helped a little bit in combats too. So yeah, I think cataphracts are underrated. I don't know. Maybe Cav are just overall pretty good. That's what it sounds like. Is there anything there, else? There's a reason Games Workshop didn't make a mounted Citadel Guard model. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of sucks. There's no demand. <laughs> it might be the option that Richard said. It's kind of technically cheating, but the Ranger mounted for 40 points. Ranger of the North yeah. mounted. If we're counting that. Yeah. He has the least redeeming features. That's It's just so expensive. 
All right, uh, listeners, let us know what you think. If you agree or disagree with our picks, and you can find all of our lists on Facebook. Just search Into the West podcast, and you'll find our Facebook page. Uh, all of the lists discussed today will be there. Thank you all for listening, and look forward to the next episode of Into the West podcast.